Zooterkins, Bloody Nora, Gadzooks, Zounds. Those are some of the words that would have merited an obscenity warning 100 years ago. Today, we have different words. This has been your obscenity warning. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, coming to you live from a remote location on my street in New Haven, Connecticut. We're in the living room of super listeners, Gabrielle and Livia Savitt Woods, and they have invited us into their home to uh, to record offsite. We're on a little unorthodox retreat. We're in a safe house. We're I love it house. here. I am here with Liel Leibowitz. Shalom. And with Stephanie Taylor Butnick. Let my people go. Your people have gone. They've gone up the Merritt Parkway. We, we're here. There's a lot of trees. A lot of trees. I also have to say that um, that Yitz, who is the Savit Woods' dog, their, their beautiful pooch, uh, it may be puttering around. So if you hear some, some toenails tapping on our wood floor or other uh, canine sounds, that's what's going on. We have an amazing show for you today. Two guests. Chris White's the director of Operation Finale, the new movie about the abduction of Adolf Eichmann, and one of his stars comedian Nick Kroll, interestingly cast against type as a, uh, a bounty hunter, basically, right? Or a, no, as a very tough Mossad guy. As a tough Mossad guy. And we're very excited to have them in studio. But, but before we get to them, uh, Liel, August is winding down. What's going on at uh, Leibowitz Manor? You know, planning on the uh, annual beach retreat. It's very good. I, I'm always a little bit sad when August, you know, kind of uh, comes to an end because really, like, August is what I grew up with my entire life growing up in Tel Aviv. So if it's not 103 degrees and impossibly humid, I wonder what what it is about life that I'm missing out on. If you're not like have like a slick sweat around you at all times. Yeah, if it's not like, you know, oppressive, I'm sort of uninterested. I like it. I've been riding the subways just to get some air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get to uh, to Nick Kroll and Chris White's as soon as possible, but not before we have a little bit of news of the Jews. I just had one story that, that came into my feed that to me was basically, I, I, it's hard for me to say, no, I think I know what I love about it. First, I'll tell you what it is. This was a story from the News and Observer down there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here's the headline. Textbook in UNC class no longer will have controversial claims about cancer and Holocaust. So this is, you know, this it was this weirdly new agey textbook written by, among others, a professor from Brigham Young University, which did not shock me because there's some interesting new agey claims in Mormonism. But what is the the Holocaust claim? Did they claim that the Holocaust didn't happen? No, they did not claim that. Uh, did they claim that you know the Jews brought it on themselves? Not precisely. But here is um, the one of the the chapters in the book included a claim in which they paraphrased Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl as saying, "quote The people in the camps who did not tap into the strength that comes from recognizing their intrinsic worth succumbed to the brutality to which they were subjected." So the implication being that, like, if only they had had, you know, like, good positive energy, they wouldn't have succumbed to the Nazis. Well, that was this kind is of what The Secret's about, right? The, this, okay, that's exactly right. So this was Rhonda Byrne's book, The Secret. This is basically ground zero for a, a lot of New Age philosophy, which is that if you have good energy, bad things won't happen to you. I was about to say, the, this, is, this is like the Holocaust brought to you by Gwyneth Paltrow's yes, goop. <laughs> yes, it, yes, that's exactly right. And what people don't realize when they go gooping around in their New Age books is that if, in fact, you can bring good stuff to you by having good positive energy, the inverse is, is also true, which is that if bad stuff happens happens to you it's because you didn't have good positive thoughts it's on you so it's wait, on you. so is this is this why they were in the camps or is this just why like so many people died because they didn't like this doesn't make any this doesn't well, no, it has to be me. a combination of both you know they're sitting around in berlin sort of just like having negative energies i don't know not like not feeling their chi in, like pre-war vienna like, i, I will just tell you this doing their thing years ago one of the most interesting pieces i i wrote 
was about a woman named Louise Hay, who was this doyen of the New Age movement. And she she has a, actually a publishing house, Hay House, that publishes a lot of stuff like, not The Secret, but stuff like that. And I interviewed her at her very well-appointed uh, condominium in San Diego. She had, she had done, done nicely she had, for herself. She had good vibes. And I said to her at one point, I said, well, and she basically thought if you brought cancer on, if you had cancer, it's because you hadn't. And she she claimed that like she could tell what your negative energy was by the kind of cancer you had. So like if you had thyroid cancer, it's because you were too glum. I mean, she had this actually chart in one of her Did books. Did she actually know anyone with any disease? Because that seems like once you <laughs> right. experience that, I think she would change her tune. So obviously some people really hated her because they felt blamed by her. The sad thing was other people read her book and turned the anger on themselves and said, oh my God, it's my fault that I have breast cancer. I needed to have more positive affirmations in my day. So I said to her at one point, I said, Louise, so let me ask you something. Like, do you really believe that those babies who died, you know, I went right for the Holocaust, right? Do you believe the babies who died in the the gas chambers were, how how are they brought that on themselves? What a cheerful interview. And do you know what she said to me, this horrible person? She said, well, we don't know what they'd done in their previous lives. So that's, that's, that's how you get these textbooks, like the one at UNC. The point being- But I don't understand why that's in a textbook. Is it like a, what? Like because it was a wellness health textbook that basically it was it was from a fitness course. Can, Here's I, ask, your answer. can I ask a biggest a bigger question? Why is there a wellness textbook? <laughs> Why is UNC Chapel Hill a premier a premier public institution offering a fitness course? Look, I knew there was something wrong with that place. Anyway, any news of the Jews to top that? I have I have something that I wanted to share. It's a little a little twisted and and weird now, but um, there was a, an amazing essay um, in Tablet by Jill Kargman a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then we didn't get a chance to talk about it. And it was Jill Kargman uh, got a preventative double mastectomy uh, a few months ago, and obviously you know it's a somewhat common experience for Jewish women who have uh, the BRCA one and two genes at a disproportionately high high rates, and they those genes basically make you more susceptible to breast and ovarian cancer. So she has this surgery, is recovering, and her son comes in and tells her about this like weird and creepy anti-Semitic incident at his school. And someone's basically was like, Jesus hates Jews, the Jews are going to burn, like something really, really like graphic and gross. And what she does, because she's basically exhausted, spent, and like fueled by just like pure maternal anger, she goes... <laughs> She's like, I need to do something. And this is like some posh Upper East Side school. And she actually goes to a bookstore and she asks the bookkeeper to give her like a, an assortment of books about the Holocaust. And so somehow this is also a cancer and Holocaust story. And she sends it. She wraps it up and sends it to like their Park Avenue home of the family. She gives it to their doorman. She's like, make deliver this to the obnoxious family in five C. And that is a Jewish equivalent of drive-by shooting. That's right. It's like I'm going to drop some Deborah Lipstadt on your ass. But it's an amazing, an amazing story, and I feel so lucky that she shared it with us. But it also is like it, this idea of kids and what they learn is just so twisted. And here it's like you can laugh at some wellness textbook, but like. You'd think people in a big city in at you know one of these great schools You'd are getting know better. Yeah, and yeah. it makes me just depressed. It what was great sad. about Joe Cargman's essay too was the way that it was sort of wove those two wounds together, right? Like you're a Jewish mom, number one, you have to have the preventative double mastectomy because of your, your cancer causing gene, and your son is getting anti Semitic, you know, taunts at school. I mean it was sort of this is why we can't have nice things, right? It was really It was like a, a deeply Jewish Jewish ex- trauma for her. It was a beautiful, beautiful essay. And Liel, what you been up to? I saw an amazing movie. Did you? Uh, Stephanie saw it too. I did. What was it? It was Operation Finale. The story of the kidnapping 
and delivery to justice of Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the final solution. Um, Stephanie. So this is an amazing story. So I know, like, Eichmann is, was, like, Hitler's number two, number three, whatever guy. He's called the architect of the Holocaust. He's, like, the architect of the final solution, right? Like, that was his idea. It wasn't so much a number two as the kind of, you know... He was, like, the brains behind it's like the it. the gig economy. He was, like, the... The he was like a task rabbit. The, right. Yeah, he actually, there was a lot of meetings they wouldn't let him into, but right. then they offloaded some very important planning yeah, he's like stuff like a task rabbit with like a double S. Yeah, exactly. S- <laughs> SS task rabbit. So basically he, after the war, like a bunch of Nazis, flees to Argentina and like is living this other unassumed life. And we actually talked about this a few weeks ago when the drunk history episode about the Eichmann capture came out. And that was sort of like the first exposure I had to the story. But luckily this new movie is out and we went to see it and it is Freaking awesome. Weird Al Yankovic uh, does not play Eichmann in this movie. So Sir Ben Kingsley plays Eichmann, and he, he that man is like a human canvas. Yeah. He can be anyone. Not Jewish, by the way. There are people who think Ben Kingsley. He's one of the, the famous, you know, they want, they, everyone wants him to be Jewish, but, but he was not. A, and he played a, like a Jewish guy in Schindler's List, right? He, had, that he, he did. In the, in the factory. So this movie is so good. Oscar Isaac plays Peter Malkin, who's like the, the Mossad guy who is in charge of the capture. And if I just have like a lot of feelings about Oscar Isaac after watching that movie, he's like so cute. And then he like grabs Eichmann and then he kind of like breaks him. And then... Well, so I I had a lot of questions too because the person he's playing, Peter Malkin, is a person who, uh, as as luck would have it, uh, I actually knew pretty well. When I was a child, he was a dear friend of my parents. Uh, and I grew up with this guy. That's like, like the most Israel thing I've ever heard. Does everyone know everyone? Everyone knows everyone in Israel. And at some That's point, right. you're like, you know, you kind of catch vibes that this person did something. Because <laughs> like when you're nine, people say, yeah, he got Eichmann. I was like, what's an Eichmann? You know, it's like a sort of like really weird thing. And then at some point, you actually learn the story. And you're and like, you're that like, guy? Uncle Tzvika is the person who did What? Does it seem pot like is it was it surprising once you found out or you're like oh he no, could do that not, not at all it's exactly that profile of the person who would do that and Oscar Isaac played him incredibly well because I mean what the movie does that's so interesting there is of course the kind of psychological drama element of it of you know the Mossad agent and the Nazi fugitive together in a small room and like playing this you know battle of wits but what the movie gets quite right is like a lot of these Mossad guys I mean think about who would go into that line of work. You know, Stephanie, would you like to host a podcast or would you like to go to Argentina under an assumed identity and literally jump on a Nazi war criminal, kidnap him, hold him hostage for 10 days and then smuggle him to Israel? Like, it's a kind of thrill-seeking kind of, you know, bon vivant But what year? But it's crazy. And what year was this? This was in 1960. So this is like a raw, this is a raw wound for these people. And they've all, most of them came from from the the ruins of of Europe after after the war and have personal deep 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 trauma and then they're it's it's basically like inglorious bastards but like re- more refined and true mm-hmm. and I don't know I mean we're talking to Nick Kroll in a bit and he is just he's so great because he like he's the straight man in the movie and he, so what he, you're saying is I should have gone to see the movie yeah you should have gone to see the movie I should go see the movie I have to say we went to a screening and we pre-gamed the screening because it was just like it just seemed like we wanted to take the edge off a little bit 
They served popcorn too, which like felt a little inappropriate by like midway through. What's amazing about about that type of movie, but specifically about this movie, because it was so good. Like there are moments in there in which it's like, oh no, they're not gonna they're get not gonna away get with it. Be like, but you watch seventy three hours of this trial, you know how you it know ends. they get away with Be it. Like, no, come on, you gotta make it to the airport. But what's interesting is, and I imagine these are reconstructed conversations, but like Eichmann's basically saying, like, take me to Germany. I committed crimes in Germany. Take me to Poland. I committed crimes in Poland. Don't take me to Israel. And that's a lot of the tension that comes out of this this trial. And that's sort of like what Hannah Arendt sort of, you know, made made her name on in a way that that tension is there in the movie. But I also love my my actual part. Melanie Laurent is in this movie and she is in Inglorious Bastards as well. She's an amazing French Jewish actress. And in in Inglorious Bastards, she's the woman who runs the cinema. Remember, she sees her, her family get killed and she's, she's hiding. Shoshana, yes. And she was amazing in that. And she kind of has like a similar badass role here where she's she's the doctor. So she's like the one who gives him his sedatives. And I was just like, I love that you just like show up in these movies to be like a <laughs> badass woman. But the one of the gripping scenes, and again, it's funny because you're right. Like we do know what how this ends. Eichmann goes to trial. He gets hanged. No spoilers. No spoilers here. But there's like kind of a, a suspenseful like airplane ride. Because wait, can you explain how they get him out of out of Israel, I mean, out of Argentina. They dress him up uh, as a as an Al Al flight attendant. So or this is pilot. Week, this is weekend at Bernie's, basically. It's they, basically they dress him yeah. up and put him on. They jet sedate skis. him, and it's he's, like one part Argo, one part weekend at Bernie's, right. one part Shoah by Claude Lanzmann. You know, right. it's an amazing. It's literally movie. part one of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's crazy. So they're like they're like weekend at burning him over their shoulders, and they're like he had a too much to drink last night, and because he's like passed out, and they get him on this plane, and there's like a lot of. I was like sweating, I think. So Leah, like you were there when this happened and paying attention. Like, does this is this movie hold up? Like, is it is the story accurate? Oh, the story is, you know, very accurate. Uh, and again, the portrayals of the people are to me, you know, part of part of the magic of the movies is the portrayals of people are actually really interesting because no one really comes off as a sort of cardboard character that's just I am tough Mossad guy, let's go get Nazi. It's it's really sort of an attempt to let us see. I mean, the Nick Kroll character is amazing because it lets us see that operation through so the straight man's eyes. So we kind of get to see the the swelling emotions that these people felt. I mean, some of them had bound on revenge. Some of them uh, were kind of like thrill seekers who, you know, were along for the ride. Some of them uh, had deep reservations about the whole operation. Uh, it kind of kind of grapples with all this. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. We have two special guests today. Chris White's the director of Operation Finale, a new movie about the plot to kidnap Adolf Eichmann, and Nick Kroll, one of the movie's stars. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We well, have one and three quarters Jews and uh, guests, <laughs> Jewish guests this week. So, Chris, 
when I saw American Pie, mm. I was like, this guy has One an day. Eichmann movie in him. <laughs> yep. When did you realize? I was learning about cameras, all building, you know, and, and, and actors, uh, all building towards this Eichmann movie, really, from the, from the get-go. <laughs> well, no, the thing is, you, you, you have to direct the first movie that you get a chance to direct, right? So that happened to be a teen sex comedy. It wasn't one that my brother and I wrote, and it wasn't really one that encapsulated who I am as a person. I didn't even go to American high school. I'd never been to prom, so all that stuff was, we like, we tried to make the best really teen sex comedy it. possible. Well, think, well, you know, I do my research. <laughs> I skulked around high school corridors for a while. Um, uh, Research but, was just watching a lot of John Hughes movies yeah, and then adding in Porky's. Pr- pretty much, basically. yeah, yeah, a mix of Porky's. And um, so I, I, I always wanted to make different kinds of movies as I went along, as did my brother. So the first thing we did was not to make another teen sex comedy uh, when we right after American Pie. And I've sort of been tacking towards serious. Yeah, yeah better, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm like that sort of sad clown uh, character who actually wants to talk about uh, the the depths of uh, soul within him. So how, how did funny. you get to Eichmann? Um, well, my my dad uh, was a refugee and who ended up joining the U.S. Army and went into the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA. So he did undercover work, and after the war, he became a designer. But he also wrote biographies of prominent Nazis, and I was his proofreader and copy <laughs> editor. So. <laughs> Uh, he wrote about Ribbentrop and he wrote about Hjalmar Schacht, who was the, the German uh, banking minister. And I w- would uh, organize his research. This is when I was like in high school, college, and uh, organize his library and, and copy edit. So I was kind of immersed in this stuff from early on. Um, and it, it was kind of second nature to me. I actually knew Peter Malkin very well. Oh, wow. Person um, from very early on until, until his passing. I thought you captured him incredibly well. Uh, captured is, is a hard word here. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> captured is definitely the wrong term. Um, how, how did you, you know, when you and Oscar Isaac prepared for this, how, where did, what, what sources did you draw on? What did you... Well, he wrote a memoir uh, mm-hmm. called Eichmann in My Hands, right. and it's among a, a few memoirs written by uh, members of the mission, most of them contradictory to each other. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think that that's really credit to to Oscar, um, because I think that, that the original version in the script was a much more brooding kind of um, uh, violent character right. and Oscar said well this, as I can tell from this guy's memoir is actually rather charming yeah. and kind of fun and we uh, decided upon a character who was kind of trying to gloss over the surface of things um, uh, and and not uh, be too too deep but who's sort of sucked back into it when he applied for the Mossad he he wrote down that his reason was was to look for adventure, and uh, his the, the the guys who are on the sort of selection board questioned him about that, thinking there was a bit glib of him. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, it perfectly encapsulates who he was and, and why the character and the real life character and the movie character are both so fascinating. I'm really glad uh, that 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 uh, holds water. That's great. So he's the guy who actually gets Eichmann. He's the grabber. He grabs him. He's he's the grabber, and then mm-hmm. he sort of becomes the de facto interrogator after the the main guy. He does. He's not supposed to be talking to him, but he does, Um, which is uh, true uh, uh, as well, according to to Malkin. Yeah. So, Nick, you've also, like, I wouldn't say that your career so far has led ineluctably to an Eichmann movie, though you have a pretty interesting, I mean, the the most recent thing that, well, you you have the animated thing. Big Mouth. Big Mouth. No, and the reason is because- The show that shall not be named. (laughs) (laughs) My brother keeps being like, this is the best show ever made. Um. I wanted to see Oh Hello, which yes. I didn't see, oh. and and I because you stopped touring it because yes. I can't see it right now. Sure, um, but that was the Broadway show you did with John Mulaney and yes. also toured the whole country with. So your career has also been 
like there have been a lot of different pieces and a lot of phases. It's but, on Netflix now. Well, yes, yeah, it's on it Netflix. Is. Oh, hello, it's on Netflix. That's where I can see it. Yes, there you yeah. go. Oh, that's interesting. Thank so, you, thank you, Chris, for promoting me. Is it as good on Netflix? <laughs> it's probably better live though. It's um well um with left with the choice of which to do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, it's better than live because it's the one that exists. But um, <laughs> but it's great. I actually love it. But uh, no, I mean, I had friends who saw it. Like, you have to see this. This is amazing. But um, to do this dramatic a role in a movie, this is a little little bit new. What it made is. you want? What made you want to do an Eichmann movie? Uh, I mean, so many. Th- I think, like Chris, um, I, I have just enjoyed being able to do various things, and I have done various uh, jobs to lead me to be able to do jobs like this. I've always wanted. I've always naturally been a comedian. I've always wanted to do comedy. But always, it's been a part of me that I've wanted to be able to take on more serious acting roles. Uh, it was just not my way into the business. Uh, and then I did a movie a few years ago called Loving, which is a, about the civil rights case of Richard and Mildred Loving, the first interracial couple uh, that brought their case to the Supreme Court overturning the ban on interracial marriage. Um, and so I enjoyed that process. And then this kind of came to me. Uh, and Chris and I sat down and talked about it, and I immediately, one, was drawn to working with Chris because I've not only enjoyed the work that he did, obviously, from American Pie, but through that about a boy and as a writer and director, he's made really thoughtful, beautiful films throughout his career. Um, and how, uh, that's just 20 bucks, I think, for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, it was, and, and working with uh, Oscar Isaac, who's a contemporary, whose work I admire tremendously, and Sir Ben Kingsley, obviously, is like one of the great actors, all of that stuff. However, on top of that, I weirdly have a connection to the material in that my father, uh, Jules Kroll, uh, who works in the world of, of investigations, corporate investigations, was very friendly with for a long time and worked with a guy named Avraham Shalom, who was another member of the Eichmann capture crew. Um, and and through that, actually knew Peter Malkin, uh, had met him as well. So I was weirdly connected to the material on various levels. Like I always bragged growing up that my dad knew a guy who was <laughs> part of the capture of Eichmann. And it was true. But, but, and it was but, true. but here's, here's true. the thing. I'm, I'm not spoiling the ending at all, I think, when no. I say Did that Eichmann him? was indeed captured <laughs> and brought to trial in Jerusalem. Yeah. And there's this beautiful scene where, where you and, and Peter Malkin, Oscar Isaac, are standing outside the courthouse and and kind of talking um, through it is kind of like this emotional climax, and I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Maybe it was your great filmmaking, Chris. But like, it was probably there, that. there yeah, seemed to definitely. be this real profound sadness in you uh, that really kind of came across, and you seemed to be drawing on something that was more than just you know. I don't want to you know demean the the craft of acting here, but there seemed to be something very real. Oh going on like the kind of realness that happens when you see you know adam sandler in dramatic roles getting really mad and you understand the kind of like vital energy beneath <laughs> yeah. the surface like how did you so kind of like method uh well acting. i'm just just i'm just merely a canvas that chris would paint <laughs> upon um was he just like be sad monkey yeah, and you're like, okay um, i think i mean I, I, honestly there's a number of things one that was the last scene i shot so I think I was dealing with the end of physically making this film. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I, look, when, whatever role you have in a film, it you think that you are in some way the focus of the film, even though in this case I'm not. It's, it's Oscars the star, and there's many, many important roles besides mine. But um, I think the way the movie is framed is I think... Um, 
Rafi, the character Rafi Eitan, who's another, the guy who I play is a real man, uh, who's part of the operation, uh, the movie is framed that he and, and Peter Malkin are very dear friends. And I think in certain ways, um, Rafi is the voice, is the ear that Peter can talk to and, and relate to in certain ways and be a human with. Um, and I think uh, that moment and throughout, it's it's. I think Rafi is a bit of the eyes with which you're looking at the humanity of Peter Malkin, who is a man struggling with, I think, between... Uh, to me, the, and Chris could disagree, but to me, this movie is really about um, do you choose justice or do you choose revenge? Um, and you're watching Peter struggle with that on some level. And I think Rafi, uh, is his friend, is, is sort of witnessing that and trying to help steer him through those, th- that conflict. I think he's also a sort of a solid citizen. Rafi is a, you know, has a family. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of represents some path forward to, uh, to, to living in the world and, and bringing children into the world and, and whether any kind of sense of justice restored is going to make that possible. Yeah. And Nick, your character really is sort of the straight man, right? He organizes a lot of the trip. He is the one like making breakfast for everyone. <laughs> you are like the most serious. He's the best man. Basically. Yeah, but like yeah, you're the sort of the, the the backbone of the whole of the whole enterprise, right? Like the whole crew living in the house and stuff like that. And you're like a very good serious actor. Thank you. Do you feel like it is? Are you working against something there? Because people, you feel like people know you as as such a funny person. Um. And are you now going to do a lot of serious roles? Like if they come, is that what you want to do next? I'd like to do all of it all the time. I I feel like, and I don't know if that will work or not, but I think it's like the goal for me is to have a career with varied kinds of projects and mediums that allow me to uh, continue to do things that are interesting to me with the people that I admire. So if that's a film with Chris, wonderful. If it's a Broadway show with John, great or if it's making my animated show with my best friend from childhood Andrew Goldberg couldn't be happier to do all of those things and personally a career simultaneously providing those different opportunities is like the most exciting career to me so like I went from doing finale back to the U.S. to work on my very dirty animated cartoon um, about puberty (laughs) and I couldn't ask for a more pleasing juxtaposition Um, so uh, you know, I think as far as like what uh, it's it's I don't know if you feel this way. Where it's like especially you. Guys, I mean, it, we're we're very different, obviously. But there are certain things of like you make American Pie as your first film. Mm-hmm. You are working in opposition to that narrative for a long time to come. I come out of comedy. I'm mm-hmm. working in opposition to the idea that like for me to be a serious actor is not in any way challenging. It's just, I'm like, here are the words, here's what I'm supposed to do in the scene. I will do that. It's the perception of what I am yeah. that uh, in, in theory I am working against, but it, what I'm actually doing felt feels very natural. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people like to have, uh, to be able to pigeonhole you. It makes it easier to like think about things. Like what I did things. to you at the beginning of the interview. <laughs> no, 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 I don't mean that, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's tricky uh, if you want to do all kinds of different things. I have an industry question. Like, mm-hmm. there's this sense for those of us who know, um, you know, we know the writing world of our, our particular corner of the writing world. There's a sense of Hollywood that we get from reading, like, People or Us, mm-hmm. that you all know each other all the time because they take these pictures of you on the red carpet where, like, your arms around each sure. other. And, like, you mean you because know, we own Hollywood? Because we own Hollywood. Yes. yes. And, <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, who knew that, you know, Cardi B and Chris Weitz and, you know, mm-hmm. Beverly D'Angelo were all besties. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and, but it couldn't, but. Entourage how, reunion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But like, how, 
like, did you guys know each other already? Do you see each other at like the club, or did you just like? No. Does your <laughs> yeah. agent call Actual? his agent? How do you get? Yeah. Well, how do you we get we do see each other at the Zionist um, yeah. world government meetings. Of course. <laughs> well, that's, that's where only, we met. That's only yeah. once a year. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it's not enough to really no, we know each other. Met before. We hadn't met before. No. I had worked with his brother as an actor uh, on a very small film. Uh, called Joshi a few years ago, and we had like an afternoon or two together, and I really took to him. But I don't even know if you knew. I don't think I you knew that. that. It's typical of him not to have mentioned it. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, but I don't think we knew each no, other. No, it's not a thing. Uh, I think that that the, there's a kind of a, a bonomi on the like r- red carpet because you're all in this ridiculous situation, and they're supposed to behave like assholes mm-hmm. um, in front of a camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, I just sort of stick at home w- with. with with my family and anytime I had to meet uh, people out and about or at the proverbial club is long gone. And I will say this about our meeting and it's 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 very emblematic of who Chris is. It was, he, he lives on far on the west side, I live on the east side of LA. It was the Sunday before he was about to leave for a couple weeks away with your family and then to Argentina for pre-production. It was your literally last day and he has an app that allows you to find the exact a restaurant that will find exactly meeting in the middle. <laughs> that is the most LA thing I have ever heard it in is. my life. That's so smart. But oh, it's wow. so Chris Weitz, which is I will meet you in the middle. In the middle. Wherever you are, I will meet you in so, the middle. Speaking of meeting in the middle, um, I'm curious. I mean, here you are with Ben Kingsley, right? Yeah. He's freaking Gandhi. I mean, he yeah. he's been around the block a few times. Yeah. Uh, and 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 here he is about to embody Eichmann, which I think uh, having watched that trial obsessively uh, and every footage mm-hmm. I can find of Eichmann mm-hmm. he did like just like he did a pretty of amazing job of catching that unbelievably well yeah. do you what do you tell him do you kind of like well you know Ben I'm thinking a Sir. little bit more let's talk about your motivation in this <laughs> right. scene right I don't tell him much I mean I think that that uh, I, in some ways like a director can be a glorified traffic cop um, just sort of allowing making space for people to do their thing and unless you really feel they're going radically off course. Uh, and sometimes if people are eliciting um, uh, uh, notes or comments, then I'm, I'm there. Um, but with it, with, specifically with, with Eichmann, I'd asked uh, Sir Ben at the sort of beginning of the process to to keep a secret from me because I thought inherently in the character, there's there's something that's very hard to, uh, to pin down about who he is or what he is. Uh, and so I was kind of happy to let him surprise me, and I thought that if things were looking really hinky, I would step in there. But also, I was a little scared of him. Too. <laughs> were you? I mean, when you yeah. see yes. when you see this 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 amazing scene in which you try to break him, and and you read he claims that he's a really a Jew from Palestine, right? And you read him his I think SS member number, and right. you deliberately give the wrong number, knowing that mm-hmm. his inner like accountant would go nine. It was yeah. four six eight three. Uh, were, were were there a moment like for both of you in which you're like, holy fuck, this is Ike when we're talking? Well, yeah, when he first uh, arrived, he was. He was very forbidding, and I think that was by design. He kind of didn't uh, make friends with uh, with the cast and crew at, at the get go. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a little ropey. The first time I <laughs> uh, saw him come yeah. on stage, I was like, wow, this is. It, uh, it, it was quite unsettling. Uh, I think he wanted to kind of produce that effect, and gradually kind of through that. Yeah. Well, he was. It was the first. I remember that scene was the first scene we shot with him. Yeah, it was the first interrogation scene, and he came to set and and. 
Chris created an environment for all of us to do our best work, but specifically for Ben, Sir Ben, when you when he got to set, there was a hush that came upon the set, and he was he was not friendly that for that first day, and he he warmed up as production went on, and his scenes allowed for him to be as his role within the film and the story changed. But up top, that first day, I was like. Fuck that guy. Yeah. But in the most, but I was Fuck like, Sir Ben. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, great. Like, all he's making my job easier yeah. because I'm supposed to be. It. It was and that sort of tracks what his role is like in the movie because yeah. he eventually, he sort of, it's I, sympathetic is the wrong word, but you're like, I kind of like this old dude. Like, he's, he's smart to, yeah. and whatever. And you're like, but he's Eichmann. Yeah. He's deeply manipulative. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Eichmann, not Sir Ben, maybe him too, but he, he yeah, he's trying to sort of get get into people's heads and that's what happened i think during the actual mission itself that there's this kind of pall over the the safe house we have just you know a few more minutes left which which is uh the time in which we can't help ourselves but fawn over your unrelated projects that we're absolutely huge fans of yeah, oh, yeah. so mark so liel and i had a moment <laughs> we've known each other for several years when we had a moment where we discovered that we are both tremendous fans of american dreams Oh, that's uh, so cool. <laughs> in fact, when my wife was pregnant, I can't remember if it was our second or third child. We that was when we saw it, and she associates the birth of I think it was Clara with the theme song "American Dreams." Dreams of the Z. This is the great for those who don't know out there. The great Send her into labor. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, Mandy Moore project of yeah. <clears throat> two thousand and something. Do you feel it's been as underappreciated as we feel it's been? Oh, that's very kind. Well, uh, so I only produced on that as my brother's uh, movie, and I do feel it is underappreciated. I don't think people were ready for a comedy involving uh, terrorists, terrorists <laughs> an American to kill Idol. the president, but an American actually ending up blowing himself up on American Idol. That was all a lot yeah. for people to to swallow. <laughs> yeah. But it was like uh, weirdly prescient. It was so it was like a, ahead yeah, of its time. It was like it's a Bush funny. era Ugh. political satire. Well, here's right? a here's a theory that we all know what's coming down the road. We just don't want to deal with it. Like yeah. something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> so you're like a president involved in a reality. What's show? the line? Yeah. They don't they don't yeah. call me the torturer because I don't love torturing people. I mean, it's just the yeah. movie is so funny. <laughs> Uh, my my brother uh, has an often uh, twisted sense of humor, uh, and that uh, gives him access to a certain deeper truth <laughs> about reality. I don't know how he uh, convinced uh, Universal to actually um, produce this. Make and speaking that of movie. brothers, I just read the Duplass brothers book, and they uh. learned how to work together by actually sleeping in the same bed till they were eighteen and fourteen. That seems and did extreme. You guys uh, well, we yeah, we were kind of a fifth column uh, in in defiance of the um, rather rigid uh, family life imposed on us by our father, the uh, World War II vet <laughs> slash refugee. Bye. So Not yeah, so we had to kind of um, we had to survive through humor. Um, and subterfuge, and I think that definitely uh, <laughs> <laughs> informed our careers. So speaking of humor, Nick, uh, it, your body of work is so incredible, and there's so many things about it that I've I did see. Oh, hello, live! Thank you. On, on, on Netflix too. Thank you, thank you. Uh, but but I have two children mm -hmm. uh, who watch <laughs> Sing a oh. lot, and as a result mm -hmm. uh, of Gunther being their favorite character, yeah. <laughs> still to this day say "yeah." <laughs> uh, and so I I would you know I would not uh, live this moment down. Oh. Thank you. What I met your, Gunter. And what are your kids' names? Lily and Hudson. Hey, Lily, it's Hudson. It's me, Gunter. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. They're going wow. to have... That is uh, amazing. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> this is going to make their, so their decade. 
I have a final question for you guys, or maybe not final, I don't know. What is it like to take on Eichmann both as a director and as an actor, like to be part of this story that everyone feels like they know and feels mm. a lot of connect. not everyone, but some people sure, feel yeah. a lot, a lot of, of connection people we to hang with. A, yeah, yeah. a lot oh, of oh, pressure the, uh, for- The, the a, Ikes, yeah. the Ike types, yeah, they call themselves. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> big, big fans. The Ike men and women out there. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's really challenging uh, because the people who do know about it often have received notions uh, about what that is. And the, the obvious one is the banality of evil, which is a which I think is a cool thing to formulate as an idea, but I don't think it's terribly useful in, um, in addressing this really complicated uh, character. I think it's kind of reductivist not to like have a hot take on Hannah Arendt. Uh, uh, <laughs> she's not here to defend yeah. herself. You're on the right on podcast, the podcast for hot takes yeah. on Hannah Arendt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so last, last, last yeah. question. Um, is there something, I mean, it's very tempting to always find kind of like a contemporary reason, well, this movie resonates now because of the landscape and it could be, again, reductive to to the beauty of the movie itself mm-hmm. just as a great story, you know, fantastically told. But did you feel as you were making it that it had some kind of resonance? I mean, is it part of why you chose the project? Well, I would say for me... Uh Ironically, we were. I, I, it took, it was leaving in about a month from now, this time last year. And this is the year anniversary of the Charlottesville right. uh, uh, riots or whatever you want to call them. So, you know, growing up as a Jew in America in the like end of the 20th century for a uh, beginning of the 20th, 21st, I did not feel an overwhelming feeling of like virulent anti-Semitism, personally speaking. Um, and then all of a sudden, but I was like, well, this movie's super interesting. This is a great story. And then all of a sudden, the Charlottesville rally, a lot of the other stuff, that the, the things that have been stirred up in the last two years, and all of a sudden just feels a little more prescient. And it felt a little more like, ooh, this is not just right. a important story to tell about the past, but one that uh, applies to the present as well. And it, it, it felt like something that was really important to, to continue to talk on. Operation Finale is in theaters August 29th, directed by Chris Weitz, starring Oscar Isaac, ben, Sir Ben Kingsley, Nick Kroll, a bunch of other fun people. And you um, must go see it. Yeah, yeah you, you should see it. it and uh, Big Mouth is on Netflix. Uh, oh, Hello is on Netflix. Watch Nick Kroll. Where's American funny. Dreams? Is American Dreams is probably on American something, Dreams. right? I think it's, it's on. on uh, it should be on Stars with a Z. Amazon Prime Plus. <laughs> Every, I think everyone level. should be watching that. <laughs> we have the director's cut at our house. Uh, Chris White said, Nick Kroll, thank you for being thank our, you. Uh, thank our, you so our, much. our Jews of the Week. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, crew it is time for some pod biz tonight may 16th i'll be moderating a zoom conversation with rabbi sharon browse and shy held about each of their new books that's at 6 p.m eastern and the final event in my unpacking the book series with the jewish book council and the jewish museum this one's on zoom so no matter where you are i hope you can make it and tonight is actually a double header for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. 
We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write? I have gone deep into the mailbox this week. And the mailbox, for those of you at home, just so you know, it's not that we don't all read the mailbox, but I tend to think I'm the sort of, am I the avant-garde, the I first lurk. line? I lurk. Do you lurk? I feel like I'm the one who's kind of moving into the mailbox more. And um, I called these two letters, one super, super Gentile, one super, super Jewish. Stephanie, which one do you want me to do first? Gentile. Gentile. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's re- let's switch the order. Okay. So <laughs> here we go. This is this is our most gentilic. Uh, I was going to say goyish, but we'd get an angry email from somebody. Our most gentilic letter of the week from uh, Samuel Waldron. Hello, unorthodox crew. I'm certainly one of your more unorthodox yet devoted fans. As a total Gentile from rural Southwest Michigan, who knew exactly zero Jews until attending the University of Michigan, and who this fall is entering Catholic seminary to begin formation for the priesthood, I don't know if there's another listener quite like me. Nonetheless, since I first became a listener after your appearance on the podcast Jesuitical, I've enjoyed catching up on all of your episodes and reliving the past three years with you. But more important, I've loved learning about your beautifully transcendent faith and its truly remarkable adherence who Pope St. John Paul II once reminded us Christians were, quote, our older brothers in the faith. But I also hope you three realize the positive impact your podcast has on the world by simply introducing any listener to its three wonderful, quick-witted, funny, intelligent, loving hosts. If the world had more men and women like you, it would certainly be a better place. Love you guys. Samuel Waldron. Aww. I love Gentiles. Oh, they're so polite. <laughs> they make everything sound so good. Oh, God. So... Adher- adherence. I'm like, yeah, I do like yeah, really, those there's, there's not enough of them, you know? Father, Father, can we call you Father Samuel? You're not there yet. We look, when you become Father Dad? Samuel, we're going to have a party for you on the air. Will you just keep us posted about your formation? Could we get one letter a year from you as you do formation? Let's get Samuel in formation. Let's, let, let's get you formed up right. Okay, the Jew, you ready for the Jewish letter? Yes. Hi, unorthodox team, exclamation point. My name is Liat Yael, and I'm a big fan of the show. You guys tap into lots of different Jewish issues and get that Jewish humor and vocabulary that you don't get in day-to-day Gentile society. I heard an ad you recorded while I was listening to the Jap episode, and it started with Baruch Atah and I was shocked to hear that phrase used so casually. I'm a religious Jew, and I want the biggest and best Jewish podcast to be accessible to people who don't use that word out of the context of davening, like observant Jews. Woo! She actually wrote W-O-O, exclamation point, exclamation point. So I'm kindly requesting you change the recording of this ad to say Hashem instead. I'm happy to open this up to a conversation. Have a great day. Sincerely, Liat Yael Kastner. So what she's saying is that Adonai is a liturgical term. You wouldn't say Baruch Atah Adonai in casual, funny, glib advertising speak. So 
observant Jews will often replace it with Hashem, which means the name. They'll say, blessed be the name, rather than blessed is the Lord, because that's more appropriate to just kind of chillaxing. And so you're just like throwing out Barakata, uh, Ado, blank, like left and right, willy-nilly. You. (laughs) I don't know, but let's, we take her very seriously. We, We love her as a listener. We love Liat. I mean, I don't know. I feel... I'm not going to say I'm not going to use it again because my practice is... But, you know, I like what she's saying, which is basically don't assume that there are no religious Jews listening, right? Which I like. I think that's important. Please tell us what we're doing wrong because we're getting a lot of this right, wrong. Right, Um But I think it's interesting because people hear like Baruch and I and it's, it's almost like you hear it in movies. You, it's like sort of this thing right. that you hear. And so I guess the fact that it is important to be like, yeah, this is like sacred... These are sacred sounds and sacred words that maybe don't have a place right, in everyday language. There, there are these boundaries to us. Yeah, let's yeah. just stick with Yiddish. Traversable. Guys. I think what I would say is we're grateful for the letter. Um, I will try to be mindful. I might use it anyway, but you know, I kind of not in an ad. I kind of feel like that's what the obscenity warning. What was the ad for? for? See, people are mad about Harry's razors that we advertise for them because, because religious Jews don't shave. Yeah. I, I but feel if you like, used a phrase in like a proper context, say, Baruch Atadonai Bore Priha podcast. Oh, yeah, we should as, open as, every as a real podcast like that. To give us a benediction or say, you know, that would be fine. I guess what I'd say is I hope the obscenity warning covers it for, and I say this religious. totally for religious Jews. I say that in to- totally sincerely. I think people who listen to us know, you know, we're, we're PG 13, we're good for kids a certain age and over. And that they're going to get a little heresy. And in our defense, I would say that it's not even heresy. It's just part of this particular phrase being so much a part of our, you know, inner emotional life that this is literally the thing that comes out when we open our mouths. Liat Yalcaster, thank you for being part of the J Crew. Baruch thank you for Hashem. being Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Mazel tops, Liel, do you have a mazel top? Absolutely. Uh, our listener... Our super fan, I should say, Sarah Link Ferguson, yes. who's also very active on the Facebook group, just had a daughter, Eliana Link Ferguson, and the picture is so adorable. But you want to know the most adorable thing? Can you guess that child's unimprovable Hebrew name? <gasps> Liel. Hallelujah. Wait, what? So Eliana uh, Link Liel Ferguson, uh, much muzzled of and love from all three of us. And Liel, I think now your name will be Liel Ferguson. My name is Liel Link Ferguson. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I love Sarah. That's great. Stephanie. I have a mazel to have a hometown shout out. A close friend of mine from growing up, Dana Sperber, listens to the podcast. Her mother, Cheryl Sperber, also listens. And I found that out because she asked me if I could give... Dana and her fiance Eric Warburg, a Mazel Tov. They're getting married on Sunday, September 2nd at City Winery downtown. I'm so excited for them. I'm so happy they listened to the show. I've known them for so long, and it was just so great to get back in touch with them through this. And I'm so excited. Mazel Tov. Hey, mazel Tov. Um, my Mazel Tov this week is to my brother, Jonathan Adam Puki Oppenheimer, who. Uh, so his, uh, his initials are going to be Gap- so happy Gappo. that you mentioned his nickname on the end. Uh, so Puki is starting a new job uh he has had a wonderful couple of years he has two beautiful young children whom he does a lot of care for and uh and also was getting two two graduate degrees and uh and now he's he's heading back into uh into the full-time workforce as a social worker and um god bless him i I wish him well i i hereby pack him a metaphorical brown bag lunch with a little note inside 
Sing, we believe in you, Pookie. We believe in you, Pookie. Unorthodox brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is produced by Shira Tulishkin, Josh Cross, and Noah Levinson, who also edits the show. Our assistant editor is Sophia Steinert Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our theme music by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Our social media intern is Elazar Abrams. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Dan Ross, a new New Havener. So psyched to be in your hood. For anything you need, write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call and leave us a voice mail 914-570-4869 get shirts and other swag at bit.ly slash unortho shirt they make very good presents for baby namings uh 50th anniversaries and um start of the school year goodie bags follow us on instagram at unorthodox podcast and on twitter at unorthodox underscore pod and don't forget to join our facebook group we recorded argo studios but not today no sir today we are at the home of super listeners livia and gabrielle savitt woods we're proud to be part of the panoply network shalom friends